Welcome to The Problem, a Lockwood & Co. podcast. I'm Caitlin. I'm Alan. And today we are talking about the first half of part two, The Unexpected Grave. A part two of The Whispering Skull. Whatever. Right. Which kicks off in chapter three. I, I, I feel like we usually have a little like... Not life update, banter, but a little banter like, here at the beginning. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, we had a bad morning we, here. Yeah, we, so it's like, <laughs> we had a lot of false starts, so it feels like we just got to go, go, go. But uh, <laughs> yeah, sure. Chapter three. Lucy picks up breakfast. Lockwood practices fencing and George struggles with his identity. <laughs> I did not read this first. <laughs> oh. Poor George. He's having a little freak out. They're all having... Not the best time in this first uh, first chapter or two. Um, and the chapter art here on chapter three are two rapiers, presumably Lockwood and Lucy's. Yeah, because we got brand new rapiers yep. that Lockwood's breaking in. And it starts off with a trip to Arif's for Lucy. Yeah, picking up some food. But also it's really just describing how they're in summer. And it, it like gives a completely different vibe to book one. Because she's just like, it's bright, it's sunshiny, I'm in flip-flops. Everything's good. <laughs> right. Yeah, I guess that's true. I hadn't thought about, but it is very important that we're kind of in the beginning of summer here. And it is like a totally different vibe. You're right. I love the casual way that her clothing is and stuff. And how that's like, she's not self-conscious about it at all. She's just like, I'm. it's summertime. I'm comfortable. Like, I'm going out. Yeah. I'm grabbing some breakfast. It's nice. Especially after their, this feels like the real beginning of the book to me, honestly. I, that other stuff was really important for like setting kind of the conflict and stuff. And we talked about all that. But like, to me, this feels like the real beginning of like where Lucy is starting off as a character and her arc and the whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. This like, Stroud loves to just throw us right into um, an action piece in all five of these books. And then directly after that kind of pull back a bit and give more of an introduction yeah and that's what's happening here we're getting the introduction yeah and it kind of picks up i guess what i'm saying is it picks up where the other where the first book left off yes and yeah and it's like oh i was comfortable and happy and like you know going up there to celebrate with everyone and that's where i'm still at yeah we're we're almost kind of doing the exact same thing with her getting food and tea. And we, when we left her at the end of the last book, like sure, she just had a conversation with a dead ghost skull, but also she was getting food to bring up to the boys. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm actually going to send you a picture of my next note because I think you'll like it. Oh, okay. I just texted it to you. <laughs> That's good. Um, as for... Like what we here at Lockwood at at Lockwood and Co. Jesus, what we here at the Problem <laughs> Podcast are known for. Um, when Lucy walks into the basement where Lockwood is practicing with his rapier, she takes like two paragraphs to describe what he looks like. And one of the things mm -hmm. that she mentions is that his uh, he uh, he'd removed his jacket and rolled up his shirt sleeves a little way, which I underlined and just wrote slut. <laughs> I didn't notice this at all. It's terrible that I didn't notice it. Uh, I can't I believe it. I expected you to be like, yep, I wrote the exact same thing. No, I've lost the identity of the show. <laughs> like, I've got it. I'm going to get kicked out. Yeah, I didn't notice. I didn't. I'm not attracted to Lockwood, apparently. I don't know. <laughs> Lucy certainly is here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She's all over. 
She's got lots of descriptions happening. Um, she does mention that he's probably taking out his anger from the job before by pounding on the dummies, which, I don't know, that seems pretty healthy. Yeah. Yeah, now that you say that, Lucy does that in the show. And, like, not, they don't have dummies in the show. Right. They have, like, the, the, whatever, steampunk thing that's in the basement. But she does, like, go down there at one point, and there's, like, some kind of thrashing rock music. Yes. And she's just, like, wah, 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 just, like, very pissed off. That is during the plot of book one in the first three episodes. Uh, that's true. That's right. But yeah, it. so I guess it's always there for when somebody's angry. Yeah. Um, but after a couple minutes of Lucy just holding the food and tea and staring at Lockwood, George is like, yes, I'll have a slice. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> if you can tear yourself away. Poor George. I, I, I love George so much in these chapters. Yeah, I noted that one down that George was calling out the lustful staring of of Lucy there. Yeah. George, I think this really begins to the the kind of third wheeling feeling that George has. Yes, that's true. I I'd forgotten that that was this book. So, yeah. yeah, that's a good point. I asked our friend from another podcast, Francis, uh who lives in England, that like she goes out and buys Swiss roll and I was like, I think I know what that is. They're like little Debbie snacks. I like those but they're pretty tiny <laughs> for breakfast. And I was like, this isn't like a thing of little tiny Swiss rolls. Surely I as like, I was raised as a poor American. So like my idea of cuisine is like completely bad. And so I was like, is Swiss roll like a thing that people would have for breakfast? And he's like, no, it's like, it's junk food. It's like a dessert. It's like, and I was like, okay, okay. That makes sense that she went and picked up like a, this makes sense to me that like they're, you know, a kid household and they're just like cake for breakfast. Sounds awesome. Yeah. I would expect it not to be like a little Debbie thing, but to be like a proper cake that she a big. Yeah. Or yeah, Swiss I roll learned type cake. Yeah. Right. Yeah. When I looked this up, I learned that they are, in fact, the size of cake. And so I was like, oh, OK, it's like a whole real thing and not like a fake American snack thing. No, it's very much like something that I would make for Christmas dessert, like a chocolate log type of situation. Mm -hmm. But she just got one for breakfast one day. Yeah. George is interested in that. Like, that makes sense to me that he's like, hey, <laughs> what are we doing? We got a Swiss roll here. I love this. Let's eat it. I love this image in my head that Lucy was staring lustfully at Lockwood and George was staring lustfully at the cake. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. Know? And honestly, I understand them both. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I get it. Um, but yeah, Lockwood talks about some new Italian rapiers that he got, and Lucy immediately like says the meanest thing that she could. She's like, that seems a bit fancy, something that Kips would use. Yeah, yeah and he's like, oh, don't say that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Love it. It's good. And I think it br it brings back the thing to, it's a good, it's good all around, but like it also, there's a little bit of craft there, I think, because it's bringing back this thing of like Kips v lockwood yes in the way that they're like you know rival not rivals but like foils and stuff like yes. that in this book and then like almost immediately we get the background of where that started which is ridiculous yeah it's really silly <laughs> it's very petty and this i don't know though because this is like lockwood's version of it and so i wonder if there's more to it than we know yeah especially know. since we also get a lot of lockwood not um, not wanting to talk about his past. Yeah, exactly. So if anybody hasn't read this in a minute, just the 
the very deep backstory on the rivalry between Kipps and Lockwood is that they were in a fencing tournament against each other. Lockwood outmaneuvered him and then poked him in the butt. And let, and so this is <laughs> unforgivable. And a reminder vendetta. that Kipps is at least five years older than Lockwood. Yeah. So he's like, if that is all that happened, he was he's just angry at a literal child. Yeah, you know? I think it would have been worse back then, too, because I feel like when this was happening, Kipps was an active agent and Lockwood was a brand new. Yeah, like 12 or something. Yeah, he was just getting to the point where he would have been allowed to go on a mission or something. And so, like, it's it's really ridiculous. Yeah, um, but also Lockwood kind of brings Lucy into a bit of a, a rapier training incident here. Incident. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I mean, this this feels like a 1980s movie where the boy stands behind the girl and he's like, no, yeah, exactly. Rip like this. Yeah, it's it's described that way. But like Stroud doesn't bring attention to it at all. You mm -hmm. know, he's not like we're not in Lucy's head thinking about how she feels or anything. It's just happening. And then afterwards, George is like, tea is getting cold and I'm on the penultimate yeah. slice. And he's lying about that. <laughs> he's really feeling left out here. Yeah. He's like, why doesn't Lockwood ever cup my wrists and move my shoulder just so? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he talks about like, I looked this up because of who I am, where he talks about like a Kiriyashi turn mm -hmm. and, and some other like technical things. And as far as I can tell, none of them are like classical fencing things in it. And it's kind of, I think that's kind of good, actually, because George explains later that like, all that stuff that Lockwood's talking about is like a bunch of made up fluff, in his opinion. Yeah. By the higher up agencies that like tell everybody else, this is how you do it. And he's like, it doesn't matter. Like you just do whatever works on a ghost. You don't have to be fancy. Exactly. Yes. I like that, too. And just after he's talking like that, though, um, Lucy says, you're still sore about last night. And then she kind of says, well, I am, too. And I like that, that she wasn't. In this one instance, she's kind of uh, agreeing with George and not putting him down, mm -hmm. which is nice because she's about to put him down kind of a lot. <laughs> <laughs> this is also like it helps him to open up and talk about his past a little bit. And I thought that this was like an interesting contrast too. that. There's a lot of stuff in this chapter about how Lockwood won't be vulnerable. He won't open up. Both George and Lucy talk about this and how that is like kind of enticing to Lucy while it's like infuriating at the same time. Yep. And I think part of like her dismissal of George is wrapped up in his vulnerability. Like we've kind of talked before about how George is a little bit affected in his behavior, but it's an affectation that is wrapped up in honesty and being real. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that like, that's part of why Lucy writes him off in one sense because like she understands him and so there's just nothing to like puzzle out so it's he's just less intriguing than Lockwood I think he's less mysterious so he's like very quick to open up about like this is how I got skull and this is what it was like when I was at Fitz and on and on and on and Lockwood you know talks about poking Kips in the butt and then immediately changes the subject yeah and almost immediately runs away I don't know if I I, I don't know if this is like a criticism on Stroud's writing or a criticism on what you just said, because I, I don't mm -hmm. disagree with you in what or I do. Maybe. I don't know. I don't like the idea that somebody is attracted to somebody just because they're a mystery. 
you know, like I think there is some real things about Lockwood that Lucy is attracted to. And it's not just that she needs to figure him out Mm -hmm. and vice versa. I don't like the idea that she's not attracted to George just because he isn't a mystery. I think they had immediate sort of sibling energy. So there was just never a chance of that happening in my mind. Oh, yeah. 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 I don't mean to say that she's like, these are the two boys that I have a choice between. I'm not saying that. Yeah, no, I, I don't I don't think you were or even that it was that conscious of a thing. I don't know. I don't know how to say what I'm thinking, but but you're not wrong. Also, I do. I guess I am kind of setting up something else that was like on my mind about like Lucy's psychology that I see here that is wrapped up in attraction and a lack of vulnerability. Uh, and like, so I don't know, like I I do genuinely think that it's a part of it. I don't think that that's something that's like all women are drawn to men who are emotionally standoffish. Like, I don't I don't think that's a thing. I don't think it's but, a thing um, in real life. I think it's very common in media, though. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. I think it is for for some people. Um, oh, well, um, yes, obviously. For me. Uh, so. <laughs> Yeah, so I think that because, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that you could read here that, that I read, I guess, is what I'm really trying to say, is that, you know, like Lucy's father died when she was young, and he was pretty standoffish anyway, mm. and and she, like, the way that she describes her feelings around that is like, I never missed him, I don't really care, and then she went to Jacobs, who was like her next male mentor, who was like also a nightmare in his own way. And so there's like, she's able to approach Lockwood. Lockwood's very approving of her in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. but is still standoffish. And I I feel like psychologically, it makes sense to me for her to, she's starting to repair some trauma in her past through those relationships. And that's like a very real thing that we do as people, not that we like necessarily use each other, but that we're unconsciously drawn to people that can help us to find closure in all kinds of traumatic areas of our psychology. And and so it just feels like an authentically drawn character to me mm. that she has one boy who's like very intellectual, which is a, a part of her personality that she's not very sure of. You know, she doesn't feel like she's smart, even though she is. Um, and he's like an open book. And then there's this other boy who's very approving of her and is a mentor and is the boss but is like mysterious and far away. And I think that that feels more comfortable to her because that's how men have been to her in the past. And so I don't know, like all of that just feels like good character work from Stroud. And it not, I maybe it does play into tropes like you're saying of like mysterious men are more attractive in media, you know? Yeah. I guess I would be upset with it if I didn't, if I hadn't read the whole books and know that like, a lot of things like there's a lot more going on between the two of them yeah 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 because he's he's also has his own issues i don't mean to downplay that i'm just like thinking of it from her perspective Uh, you're not wrong it's just a trope i don't like that's i guess that's what i was really saying and i'm glad that the like i think lockwood well we can't really talk about this yet because you haven't read it but after the end of book three i do think lockwood realizes wait this is not a good way to go about my life and he does sort of <laughs> change everything after that. So that so I'm fine with it. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, they kind of shit on Fitz for a while to get back to what's happening in the book. 
And, but mm-hmm. I do like that Lockwood is like, uh, you know, the agents are fine. They're just kids like us risking their lives. It's a stupid supervisors. We got to get rid of them. <laughs> yeah. And then that brings us into the, the backstory we were talking about with the, with the rapier fight. Oh, I did also make note of, uh, what does Lockwood say here? Also just talking about Kips. He's like, maybe it's my natural style he envies or my boyish charm or perhaps my setup here, having my own agency, no one to answer to with fine companions at my side. And then says he caught my eye and smiled from Lucy, obviously. And I'm just like, oh, and then George just sort of looks up from his comic and interrupts their, their flirting there and is like, or oh, it could be the fact that <laughs> right. you once stabbed him in the bottom with a sword. <laughs> and I, I just love their whole dynamic. It's good stuff. Yep. They, yeah, I love it too. And it's, it's the classic Stroud joke of being like flirty romance and it's like, or bottom stuff. You know? Yeah. Um, and then, like you said, on the next page, Lucy's just sort of thinking about Lockwood and how he's all buttoned up, as it were. And, or he, she says, shut tight like a clam. And then she immediately thinks it was infuriating, but intriguing, which I yeah. underlined and just wrote, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. We've talked about how they're teenagers and the books and the show let them be teenagers and make like bad teenager choices. And I think this is just like a pretty typical, like, you know, some people are attracted to people who are emotionally unavailable and that's why they're attracted to them. And then, you know, hopefully somewhere down the line, you realize like, oh, bad strategy on my part. Yeah. Or you, you know, best case scenario, you work it out together and you realize, oh, we don't have to be this way. Which is kind of what happens eventually. Yeah. So then we get this whole thing about a description of uh, Steve, is it? Yeah, Steve Rotwell's house. And I just wrote, good Lord, because it's this really kind of jokey way of of describing the uh, discrepancy between the rich agency runners and everybody else. Mm-hmm. Because Lucy's, you know, talking about how Lachlan Co. has been doing pretty well, but she says, we weren't building swanky mansions with ghost lamps in the grounds and uh, like electrical streams of running water down the driveway as Steve Rotwell was rumored to have done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we get a picture of like the enormous facility that is the Fitz yeah. compound yeah, exactly with their with George. And it's just like mind blowing how much money is wrapped up in this whole thing. Yeah. And like Stroud doesn't call attention to it or anything. He it, like I said, this the Rotwell stuff is almost kind of a joke. Yeah. But it's still just like, wow. Yeah, it's really good. It's it's subtle enough that you can like imagine it and you don't even notice. Like it's good in a lot of ways because it makes us feel for Lockwood and Co. Like they're the underdogs. Yeah. They're really like just trying to survive and that helps you root for them. But at the same time, like it really just underlines how much of the economy is devoted to this craziness. Yeah. And how much those agency heads have invested in keeping the problem going mm-hmm. yep uh on the next page we get how long it's been between book one and book two and that is seven months and we get so little timeline stuff that i just wanted to note that down yeah and i was trying to think in the dagger in the desk if they had said a year or if i was putting that on there and i was like did this happen does the dagger in the desk happen in the middle of this but i don't think so i think that i think it does I think Does Stroud it? said it was just like a little one-off job between books one and two. Oh, okay. Well, they're saying it, it has seven to, in months. fact, because at the end of this, 
Yeah. Uh, like just where they are personally in in the dagger in the desk and where they would be after the end of book two when Lockwood decides to let them in. Right. Right. Oh, yeah, definitely that. But it, I thought I guess what I'm saying is this says it's seven months right now. And I thought dagger in the desk said one year. And so I was like, did dagger in the desk happen during this book? Like after uh, I see this thing but before the end but i don't think i think i'm just not remembering correctly i do think what it's what this book is saying is that the first book was about two to three months like over that time period from when uh, lucy was hired at lockwood and co to the end of the book mm -hmm. and that all in total it's she's been at lockwood and co a year oh okay. but, oh that makes right? sense but from that the end sense. of uh screaming staircase to now it's been seven months i get it. yeah yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. This is a good update too, though, that like time has passed. Yeah. And like everybody's a little bit different. Yeah. And she goes sort of describes how where their relationships are. And we get kind of a refresher for those who, you know, waited a year for book two to be published about mm -hmm. who or picked is. this up. Yeah. You know, without reading the other one, too. Yes, exactly. Yeah. She gives a rundown of George, too. Um I love the little thing about him taking off his glasses that is George retained his habit of taking off his glasses and polishing them on his sweater whenever or jumper. It depends on your version. Uh, polishing them on his sweater whenever he was a utterly sure of himself, b irritated or c bored rigid by my company, which one way or another seemed pretty much all the time. <laughs> so he is cleaning those things a lot. And then she goes on to say, we'd, we'd been getting along better. In fact, we'd only had one uh, full-on foot-stamping saucepan-hurling row that month, which was itself kind of a record. Which is the most highlighted passage in this oh, section. Oh, nice. Yeah. I love... According to Kindle. Like, she goes on to describe some Lockwood stuff in a minute, and which opens up with him just, like, lying in bed on their days off and i love this idea that he's like lying in bed in a depression funk while they're <laughs> throwing dishes at each other in the kitchen each other. yeah and he's <laughs> just like oh god my life <laughs> i didn't think of it that way i didn't until just now but it's great <laughs> yeah that seems to be like a really um it's not stated but it feels to me like He's just emotionally closed off. Yeah. No, I don't actually think Stroud was trying to describe him lying in bed in like a depressed funk, but that's just what I picture in my head. It's pretty good. though. You could easily imagine him staring at the ceiling and hearing them yeah. scream at each other. Either like having a long suffering sigh. <laughs> that's pretty good. Lucy does also mention that sometimes that she'd been startled by a sever severed limb while rummaging in the deep freeze. And just know, just like I would also have a dishes throwing fight with George after that. That seems dangerous from like securing the source kind of thing, too. It seems if, dangerous on a lot of levels. Yeah, like it, it's just not good. It's just not good. Have a different freezer for your severed limbs. One that has silver on it, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but yeah... I forget exactly where it is here when we get into the Lockwood descriptions, but Stroud or Lucy or whatever describes him as always kind of being ever onward, which I like as a descriptor of him because it's like he's running, but without actually running. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, it says he didn't even discuss the old cases. Yes. He he was just always, always going, 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 going. It just very much reminds me of the kind of thing of, you know, like, this is escapist psychology where you're like, you throw yourself into your work, whatever it takes to not be in your own head. You know, he reads books that he's reread over and over and over again. He'll read the newspaper, just anything to not be with himself. Yeah. It seems like. Healthy choices, no therapy. It's just <laughs> good. Oh, so and then she goes on to describe how um, the house is still like covered in all these relics and stuff left over from his parents, and and I just noted down that it's almost like he wants people to ask because he doesn't hide away all of his parents' stuff, but also he doesn't want to answer. Hmm. And I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a mystery. Because, like, before inviting people to live in his house, he could have packed all that stuff away, hidden it in the room that he asks them not to go into. Mm -hmm. But instead, he leaves it all out so that they can see it and wonder. Yeah, I wonder, too, to him, like, what that stuff symbolizes. There's no nothing in this book that really says anything to that. If it's like, oh, I'm keeping it this way that my parents had it exactly, or if it's like this stuff all means something to me or, or it means nothing to me and I will prove it by like, who cares if it's there. Right. But I'm sure if any of, if George or Lucy asked him about it, he would immediately shut, shut down. You know, He'd he, be like, I don't talk about that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's interesting that he makes the choice to leave it all out for them because it's interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It even, it comes up later with Joplin too, being interested in all the, all the little things that are on the wall and stuff. Yeah. Um, and then we get sort of a recap on Lucy also. And I I really like how she describes herself here because you, you really get the feeling that she feels very at home at Lockwood & Co. And that she's feeling confident in herself and her abilities and happy for possibly the first time in her life. Mm -hmm. And I like that for her. Now all she needs is a flamethrower and she can be happy forever. <laughs> in a talking skull. Yeah. She she's a little bit down on herself in her looks and things like that. And uh Yeah. But who isn't when they're sixteen? Oh no, I get it. And I I noted that as in terms of like that exact thing as like normal teenagerhood, but is subtly related to the to the thing we always bring up when she perceives someone as being like another woman yes. as being pretty. I guess I don't mind it here because she's not comparing herself to other women. She's just saying, yeah. this is me. And again, it, it does showcase that I get what Stroud is trying to do with Lucy and that I just think he went about it poorly in, in other situations. Because here it's good. It's fine. It makes sense. My, fa yeah. my favorite line, which she's describing herself, is she says, height-wise, I hadn't grown any. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because as somebody who like reached to their full height at 14 i i sympathize yeah you wait and it doesn't happen mm -hmm. yeah i mean that whole paragraph's about her being kind of mid in all of these ways but then she goes on to be like but yes i am like an incredible listener with superpowers yeah so she knows where you know her her real skills are and she's like very interested in exploring that space Yes, and then that kind of leads into talking about what had happened with Skull at the end of book one. 
And so that's the end of chapter three before we get back to the cliffhanger from book one. Right. Yeah. Which is, again, that sort of thing is echoed in all of the books, um, all, all five of them that we we open with that action piece, like I said, and then come back to whatever cliffhanger we were left on quite a few chapters in. And I, I, I really like the style. It's interesting. And it would, it would definitely keep you reading if you, you know, if you'd read the first book and were like, the skull talk to you, get to it already. <laughs> right. But it's also good it's because like it really does set up the novel. I mean, includes obviously it includes skull and that's like a very important thing. But I would argue in a lot of ways, this isn't even Lucy's book in some ways. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then it's like, it's not even about that relationship. I feel like their relationship is more cemented in the following book. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so like in a lot of ways, what was set up in book one as the big cliffhanger is just like an evolving thread in this one. And this book is about completely different things than that, which is like a I love that kind of choice artistically. It does. I, I like it too, but it also just sort of feels like he had this plan for Skull. And then at the end of book two, he was like, well, that was my plan. Now what can I do with him? And that's when Skull yeah. becomes more interesting. <laughs> he becomes a character. Yeah. 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 I agree. I agree. You can feel that, but it's also like extremely cool. Yeah. Uh, so then we're on chapter four. Yeah, in chapter four, George tells Lucy how he stole Skull from the Fitz agency, and Lockwood reveals that they have been invited to the Fitz ball. And the chapter art is Skull, partially uncovered by a cloth in his He's peeking his jar. Out. Yeah. My first note here is don't mix those up, and I don't know what I... Oh, the mummified heart and the bottle of gobstoppers that are next to each other. Don't mix those That's up. That's good stuff. Yeah. That's like, yeah. I didn't note that down, but when I read it, I smiled because I was like, that's the, that is like Stroud's world yeah. right there. It's so good. And it also mentions right there the black leather case book mm -hmm. that Jonathan Stroud talks about online all the time. That That's what he names the file that he has of all their story ideas yeah. that he hasn't worked out yet, which I love. But he's, he's like, he has one foot in that world imaginatively. Yeah, I like that. How, um, like, this wasn't his first book series, but it does seem to be the one that he's, or maybe it's just the one the fans ask about the most. So then we get the most information about it, but it does seem like the one that he is most attached to. Mm -hmm. He's always like, he's always got a, a couple of ideas spinning around with it. Lockwood's always in his head, it feels like a little bit. Yeah, I like it. Um, so then we learned that George has been doing a lot of experiments with the skull to because, OK, so Skull talked to Lucy at the end of book one and hasn't spoken to her since, which I love that he's being a little bitch about it. <laughs> a, a great introduction to him as a character. Like what? You shut me up that one time. Fine. I'll never speak again. Right. I've yeah, got eternity. Yeah. <laughs> so George has been doing a bunch of mean things to the skull to try to get him to speak, which I, I would just dig my feet in further. So. That's fun. Yeah, this is this is pretty interesting to me as like a world building thing. And also like as this is like a philosophical stance. Yep. That is like a big difference between Lucy and George. George doesn't see visitors as people, uh, which I think is right ontologically, like in the world. I don't think the visitors are people. 
uh skull is certainly a character who has like his own motivations and ego and all of that kind of thing but i don't know if that is necessarily attached to who he was as a person in life or is like i think i think he's like a second version of himself but uh but lucy is like we should relate to them we should sympathize we should like get inside their head because that's like what she does but george is like they're evil and it doesn't matter what we do to them because there's no you can't be morally uh you can't do anything morally wrong to something that's evil yeah or he definitely i don't know if he sees them as evil but definitely not like a real creature of the world. You know, he does things to them that you wouldn't do to an animal. Mm. Oh yeah, definitely. So it's yeah. not just that he that they're not human, it's that they're not they're not alive, they're not real almost. Yeah, they're definitely they're not people, like I say. And I think that Lucy does see visitors as people and they're both right and they're both wrong. Yeah. It's good to have this like extreme polarity between the two of them and this book kind of moves both of them i think closer to the other side which is more true about what's happening i mean visitors are kind of echoes of the people that they were and there's something to be sympathized with in their trauma and and the emotions that are bound up with them Mm -hmm. but not all visitors are victims you know the way that annabelle ward was yeah we're going to learn about that in this book yeah um, and George says, you know, it's a visitor anyway. Do visitors actually feel pain? And I just wanted to say that I, too, would like the answer to this question. <laughs> yeah. He he doesn't see he doesn't like baths. We know that so far. Yeah. Because uh, he told Lucy about that. But like, if I remember correctly, and I'm, I might be wrong, he he does talk about like Skull talks about the experiments later. And he doesn't say whether or not they hurt or anything. He just says he did. He didn't like them. Yeah. But he also doesn't yeah. like George, so it could just be that he didn't like spending time with George. Yeah, he doesn't like being around George. Yeah. Uh I, George does say here when they're talking about it, like they're they're asking him questions, but it's daytime and Lucy's like, "What's well, not going to answer if it's daytime?" And he says, "It's not answering out of spite. Yeah. It's got a wicked nature. You said so yourself after it spoke to you." So, like, I guess that's where I'm getting the whole idea that George sees them as evil, is him saying it has a wicked nature. Right. And I think this also comes from the Marissa Fitz stuff where, you know, like nobody's been able to verify this after the fact, but she's like, hey, type threes, they're tricky. They're like evil. They, you know, they'll try to get in your head and mess with you. Mm-hmm. And so that's like how George understands them is through the Fitz manual stuff. Right. Do we think George believes Lucy? Yeah, for sure. I think so. Yeah. Okay. I just, I wrote that question down because, because he never really says here in this conversation, mm-hmm. he talks about all the experiments and blah, blah, blah. And Lucy talks about what it said, but it's been so long. And here he has that line where he says, where like George gave a noncommittal grunt. Mm, yes. Your mysterious connection. Yeah. I, I read that as more of George feeling on the outs. Yeah, that's fair. Lockwood and Co. Yeah. This is another, like, Skull was his thing, and now it's somehow it's not his thing anymore. It's Lucy's thing. Yeah. Um, back to what you were saying about Marissa Fitz. So we get that bit where it's like, you know, uh, it describes Marissa Fitz as one of the first two psychic investigators in Britain. 
It does specifically say in Britain, which makes me wonder about who were the investigators in other places. Did that even happen? Or is it anyways? And she claimed to have encountered spirits with which she held full conversations. And she mentioned this in several books, blah, 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 blah. After her own demise, others had tried to achieve some similar results. A few even claimed to have done so, but their accounts were never verified. So I guess what I'm wondering is when did she have these conversations? Like, obviously, I want to go deeper into this, but Alan, I can't because Alan hasn't <laughs> read the last two books. Right. Was it because um, Marissa and the original Rotwell guy, whose name escapes Steve? No, Steve is the current Rotwell guy. Oh, okay. Um, okay. No, it's not going to happen. The original dude. They were the investigators that came up with the rules and blah, 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 blah. And I think previously I brought this up in a, a another vague manner. And I just really want to know, was she having these conversations with them before some things that we learn about later? And if so, where did that come from and why? Like, she must have, like, how? I, I want to know the timeline. That That's what I want from Stroud. I want a novel about Marissa Fitz. Yeah. Yeah, that stuff would be super interesting. I've always read it as these things, once a procedure for dealing with sources had been like widely accepted and tested by others, mm -hmm. that, that, that at that point, that's when she's having these more exploratory conversations with type threes. Right. That's, I don't know that where I get that from, but that's the sense that I've always had. I, I get that. I think that that is the sense that Lucy and, and the in characters in book characters have also. Yeah, absolutely. But I try not to explicitly say things here, but I just want to know <laughs> how things went with Marissa and what happened first. I would read it. I don't know. Me too. Uh, it obviously couldn't be told from her perspective because she would be like the Lockwood character, but in, yeah. in a, not good way and uh, i want it so bad moving on i can't i can't talk about this more i'm just gonna like explain to you the ending <laughs> yeah oh yeah the, my next note is just the, how much i love skull for being silent for months because he's butthurt which is which i already said yeah it's good it's very in character yeah. uh it works in multiple ways like it's good for the story to for this mystery to keep happening and then when he does finally talk it's like a big deal yeah and and is directly related to the story. I do I do think there's also something going on here. This is kind of like how I interpret skulls symbolically and I think I think this is kind of a bad interpretation on my part. So I'm a little bit what about it, but I think it's influenced by book 3 more than this book. But I kind of read skull as like symbolically. Like I understand that he's his own character and stuff. But I kind of read him as Lucy's like inner dark side voice in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He says all kinds of things that she's not willing to say to herself. And like, you know, Lockwood's not trustworthy. And, you know, George is this and that. Well, maybe she is willing to say things about George. But in a lot of ways, like Skull is her dark side. I think you could absolutely symbolically read him that way. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree with that, especially in books three and four. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. 100%. But she is uncomfortable with that dark side of herself. And she's also uncomfortable with Lockwood's dark side. She doesn't want him to have a dark side. Um, 
And I think that her discomfort was with that is with Lockwood, like keeping secrets and like making bad choices, maybe like she always tries to interpret his choices so far in book one. And then this book as being like the most responsible, good version that could have happened. But we know that like Lockwood has some death wish stuff going on with him. And I feel like she just doesn't want to see that stuff. Mm hmm. And it so it's kind of wrapped up in the same way that she is suppressing her own darkness and like is uncomfortable with it. Um, so like I highlighted this part and it says like all at once I was hearing the ghost voice talking in my head, really talking. I mean, addressing me by name. It told me things, vague, unpleasant things of death's coming variety until I turned the lever and shut it up. And so like, you know, symbolically, that's kind of like you have these dark thoughts about somebody you're attracted to and you're like nope not going there not thinking about it or you have dark thoughts about yourself or, or the world through a dark lens and you're like nope gotta be miss positivity gotta be you know and it's something uh, that lucy's that lucy is not all that positive yeah in her inner dialogue that we get to see yeah so and it's yeah that's yeah. interesting i think it, yeah it's just interesting that she can like turn off his voice and then the voice then they she i think part of growing up is like she's more interested in this darker part of herself she wants it to talk back to her but now it's like eh, i'm not gonna talk to you like <laughs> that's part of growing up i don't know like sometimes you're like okay i'm ready to do the hard psychological work of wrestling with my dark side and your dark side's like yeah or fuck off i don't know how about that I like that a lot. And it's interesting to think of from the perspective of Skull always being asked to be free. Because, like, aside from obviously setting a visitor ghost free would be bad for ghost touch and reasons, blah, 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 blah. But that would yeah. mean that she would not be able to shut him up. Yeah, yeah. That's, like, the real scary thing about it. Yeah. Is what would he do? If you really let all your darkness out, what would happen? Yeah. And, yeah. Oh, man, I hope we remember to come back to that for the ending. Of like book five. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, I'm sure. I These are things stuff. I'm obsessed with, yeah. so I'm sure I'll think of it again. But I'll think it's an original thought then. So, <laughs> I mean, I'll probably believe you. I too will forget that this happened. <laughs> so then on like the next page for me, I don't know where you are in your Kindle or whatever. Uh, we have Lucy thinking about, you know, her being this powerful listener and how if you know, they can prove it, she would become the most celebrated operative in London and it would do a lot for the agency and all that. And I think that this is an interesting thought that they put here because she never does tell anyone outside the agency. Oh. Right? And even when they hire somebody new to the agency in book three, they keep it from her for a while. Oh, true, yeah. So it's it's interesting that she has these thoughts here and then they go nowhere. Yeah, I mean... Lockwood has said things like this, that it could be like the key to their fortunes and and things like that. But I like also that he is not trying to exploit her. He just appreciates her abilities is, is yeah. how I see it. And she's not all up for exploiting herself either. Uh, she's exploring these abilities. But like, yeah, that's true. Yeah, no, I, I feel like don't you feel like it would get them in trouble somehow? Um, I can't answer that without 
Yeah. So that's the sense I get yeah. is like if yeah, if you came out and you were like, guess what, guys, I feel like someone would show up on your doorstep and be like, guess what? Yeah. Fitz would like, definitely take you away to those secret over. rooms in the basement. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, What was like? I also just like this because it feels very teenager to me to dream about being top of your game the best ever blah 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 but then when like when you actually are you're like actually i don't want to tell anybody maybe let's oh yeah you know it that's just, a good point or maybe it's not even a teenage thing i can see doing that as an adult too to like have these dreams of being famous and appreciated but then you have the actual opportunity and be like actually just you two knowing is fine yeah yeah success is scary yep but having the dreams makes total sense to me even if mm -hmm. you wouldn't actually want it she does that in the show, too, where they before anything even happens when she's with Nori, they're like, we'll be like Marissa Fitz. Yeah. 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 And then she gets to London and she's like, I actually I just settle for a bed. <laughs> yeah. You know. <laughs> oh, so then we get like the description of the like secret rooms, like I was just saying at Fitz and and the Black Library and just a lot of setup for the break in that they do later. Mm hmm. And oh, I just wrote down this all just seems very shifty about the basements and the how they have furnaces in fits, but also their public furnaces that everybody can use. And yeah, it seems like what George is talking about is a secret. Yeah. Like people don't know about that. Yeah. It just seems very much like the, uh, the EPA guy from Ghostbusters needs to crack down on the Fitz agency, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't seem like they're following all the rules there. Yeah. And then, oh, at one point, George says, it used to annoy me that I got no answers. And I was just like, yep, that would annoy the shit out of me, too. Well, it, it seems like he gets fired for asking so many questions yep. as well. And also... So they're not interested in that. Yeah. And this just really juxtaposes the... I think we've kind of talked about this already, but my note on it is here. So apparently I'm going to revisit it. The difference between Lucy and George and the mysteries that plague them, because George is very much like... I need the answers to this fits slash the problem in general mystery. And Lucy's like, eh, yeah, whatever. I need the answers to Lockwood. Right. Yeah. And the answers to Lockwood, George is like, eh, yeah, that doesn't bother me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Their ambivalence in either way. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. And it as much, it's like what I just talked about too, yeah. where she is willing to like dig into her darkness a little bit more now and like wake skull up. She's also wants to dig at Lockwood's darkness and see like what's what's going on. And it also speaks to their roles in the agency or like in the story even, right? Cuz she's the listener who wants to know about who who wants to figure out the the visitors uh concerns while George Yeah, to connect. Yeah, to connect yeah. and George is the researcher who wants to know the bigger picture. Yeah, that's true. And I that's almost wrote down point. their talents, but of course, George's isn't a talent, capital T. Like, that's not his psychic ability. Yeah. So it's a talent in the way that we talk about yes. it for like, yeah, work and stuff. So, but that's, that's just interesting, though. I, that George's talents, capital T again, are kind of mediocre, but he has that, that other part of him that makes him part of the team. Like, I don't know. It's just good writing, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And that, yeah, except that part of his personality hasn't been working out yet, which is like George's whole problem. Uh, yeah, but I mean, he's it's, lost his groove. We're in the beginning of the series in the beginning of the book. You can't yeah. be, you have to. Yeah, he needs somewhere to go. I do like I do like the joke that he makes right here where he says it's in the same part that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, George gave a skeptical snort 
Oh, come on. You love all that mystery about him. Just like you love that pensive, far-off look he does sometimes, as if he's brooding about important matters or contemplating a tricky bowel movement. Don't try to deny it. I know. And then Lucy's like, what's that supposed to mean? And he's like, nothing. No, nothing. I, 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 my note here was just, I love George. And yes, I just, I love George and his long suffering as having to watch these two stare at each other is great. And both of them be like, what are you talking about? Yeah. A tricky bowel movement. It's good. I, I just want like, I don't know. Lucy has like quite the inner dialogue and I wonder what's George's inner dialogue sometimes. <laughs> I think I do wonder what a book from George's point of view would be like, but I do think it would not be cohesive. No, it would be like far off places. And then somebody asks him something. He's like, oh, right. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah. Uh, And then, of course, as Lucy is contemplating all these secretive things about Lockwood, Lockwood shows up right behind her. Right. Classic. Yeah. But but he hmm? is behind her to deliver the mail. Yes. The Fitz Agency ball is happening and they have a personal invitation from Penelope Fitz uh, for this Saturday. And uh, of course, they have a personal invitation because everybody who's anybody is going to be there. (laughs) And they're somebody now. Although George does immediately say, so why have we been asked? Yeah, I love that. Yeah, But I think George sees the problem. And not the problem, yeah. but like he sees the problem in this invitation that Lockwood just wants to like, we've arrived, guys. Like we we did it. And George is like, I don't know, man. Seems weird. I know those people. They don't they don't accept people like us. What's going on? Right. And then Lucy has that whole paragraph about how secretive Penelope Fitz is and how she basically just locks herself in her apartment in the Fitz building. Yeah. So it's weird that she's taken an interest in them, even if they did, you know, find the body of her childhood friend. She runs things with an iron fist. <laughs> and I was like, huh, doesn't seem nice. It's good. There's like a lot of like language around all of this that you can just take it on face value, I think. And I, I certainly did when I read this. I was like, oh, they're invited to the ball. They're moving up in the world. Makes sense. They're in the papers. Yeah. They're taking an interest, but it's there's also like a lot of language here that's like foreboding and menacing and it's good stuff. I do also like that they got the invitation earlier in the story than, you know, the day they needed it like they did in the show. Oh, yeah, that's wild. That doesn't make any sense. Which was uh, hilarious. I I mean, whatever. weird writing choice, but I guess there wasn't really anywhere else to put it in the show. This is still pretty. I mean, it's like less than a week out. So this is. You know, for formal wear and stuff, it's like, hope you got stuff. Yeah, this does. Yeah. Agreed. But it's a book, so whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, And then there's some new uh customers at the door, which are clients is the word that they use that I was trying to desperately scramble for there. Um, And and then Lockwood is like, what are we waiting for? Let's go and see. And I just wrote down, good thing one of them showered. Because they were, they're all in there like ratty clothes, except for Lockwood, who just disappeared for a bit. And like, I'm sure George's face is covered in cream or jelly from the Swiss roll, and Lucy's in her t shirt and shorts that she was just doing rapier stuff with. Oh, yeah. She's probably all sweaty and dirty. Yeah. Yeah. So that's funny. 
covered in straw from the inside of the dummies and stuff. Yeah. Um, and then we're on chapter five, which is Mr. Saunders and Mr. Joplin of Sweet Dreams Excavations and Clearance hire Lockwood and Co. to investigate a troublesome gravesite. And in the first line here, it does mention Mr. Albert Joplin, and I had completely forgotten that he was a dude in the book. Yeah, for some reason, Stroud changes this in the book from what he did in the show. Right, no. yeah. <laughs> so, like, yeah, I also am constantly imagining Elise Brealey, and then I'm like, oh, no, no, it's a, it's a boy. Yeah, so ditto. That's great. Um, and, oh, the chapter art is the, the jelly roll that they transfer from having for breakfast to being, like, for tea for the clients and when i was first looking at it i was like and a button or something in the background and i couldn't figure it out but it's the hat pin on what's his face's hat saunders's hat but it doesn't right. look like a hat at all so i was like did they put a button in a crack in the wall why and how <laughs> is that relevant like i just couldn't figure it out until i hit it in the story but then yeah it's the hat it's a little sunburst pin on a on a hat yeah, these these guys are delightful. What what nice people they are. I was just going to say, we then get the most long-winded explanation about what's going on <laughs> because Saunders cannot fucking stay on topic for two seconds. He loves to talk. Yeah. He loves his own voice. He loves things that are convenient and easy. Uh, like, I just did not write notes on some of these pages because dude was just talking. <laughs> yeah, I think I went several pages without taking a note for the same for the same reason i think my first note it says he winked at us as if that settled the matter and took a lot a loud slurp of tea lockwood's polite smile remained fixed as if nailed in position yeah my first note is when he um well okay to be fair i did first write a note about uh they talk about how graveyards that were previously declared safe are now no longer safe so i did write down that the problem is getting worse mm -hmm. so that's a nice little world building tidbit and then, but just after that mr saunders calls lucy girly girly and i wrote down ew yeah he doesn't call at least one more time in this chapter and i despise it it's good <sighs> yeah it's it's good in the sense of like we're not supposed to like it right yeah it's it's bad. Especially just after Lucy got talking about how confident she is in her agentness now and how, like, she gets respect from people on the street when she wears her rapier. And then this guy's right. just calling her girly. And I'm like, I want to punch this man. Oh, uh, he's such a piece of shit. Yeah. He's bad to everyone. He's bad to his coworker, his partner. Uh, he's just a condescending misogynist. Yeah. Yeah. And but that is also, like you said, it's wrapped up in a world building tidbit about the problem getting worse and and about also like the ways the laws are changing and how DPRAC is enforcing the laws and stuff, which is what creates this whole thing. Yeah. For them to do. So like, yeah, it's really good. Like there's no point where Stroud is like Saunders was an unlikable fellow. It's just like dripping off of everything that he does. Yep. And he he almost like takes a break from describing Lockwood for a bit. And you can tell him like that eventually Lockwood is just sitting there like frozen because he can't because otherwise he can't be polite to this guy. Oh, yeah. He can't say anything. Like I yeah. said, his his smile was nailed to his face yeah. because otherwise he's going to punch this guy. 
Yeah. Yeah. So then Saunders is like describing what they do. And eventually we get this bit about a kid that was ghost touched, but like he just glosses right over that Mm -hmm. because he's just describing the things that happen on their excavations and stuff. And it's That's what I pay him for. (laughs) Yeah. Everyone gets paid quite well. I have my (laughs) doubts. Whatever that means. Yeah. 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 He talks about his crew. I mean, it sounds like the most like we used a lot of contractors because uh, we don't have to pay them insurance, you know? Like, it's good business. It's smart. Mm-hmm. Kind of a guy. Um, yeah. I I kept thinking of the guy that they cast from the TV show, even though he doesn't fit the physical description, because he's so good at being like a slimy dude. Yeah, guy. he just is this guy. Yeah, it's really good. Saunders is a big pile of crap but joplin's not much better to be honest he's just a different kind of pile of crap he is kind of like george's dark side yeah that's true yeah that's true i do love that they have that moment where george has heard of him and like read one of his articles because that kind of sets up a connection between the two of them in a in a very believable way yeah and it's really important too because like like we like i said over and over george is feeling left out he's you know the connection with skull is now a connection with Lucy. The Lucy and Lockwood are just constantly flirting. So for him to make a connection with anybody is like really important. Uh, and I think it's supposed to also kind of augment how we feel about Joplin. We're supposed to be like, oh, this guy is a real piece of shit over here. But this one, he's like a little disorganized, whatever, but I could like him. Yeah. So we trust him a little bit uh, and that'll be important for the plot. Yeah, and then this is where I didn't really take any notes because they're just describing what's happening. Um, but anyways, eventually we learn that there's a grave that uh, isn't supposed to be there. It's not on the records. And when the the sensitives that they hired go near it, they get dizzy and sick feeling like one girl just wouldn't go near it again. She walked away and was like, nope, I'm out. Um, and eventually Saunders goes over to it because he has zero psychic ability. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> and finds that it has a name on it, which is Edmund Bickerstaff, which means nothing to no one. I know. That's a really good joke. Yeah. I like what he says about the sensitive girl. He says, of course, it's hard to know just how seriously to take all that. You know what psychics are like. Oh, yeah. Indeed, Lockwood said dryly, being one myself. <laughs> which is really that was good. good. Um, but, but it, I think it also shows how, cause Saunders is described as probably being older than the problem. And it, it's like in the dagger in the desk whole thing where the, the teacher was kind of like, oh, you know how kids are. They just make stuff up. Yeah. Uh, but then someone threw a dagger at me. So I thought maybe I should check it out. So like, <laughs> there's like a set of these adults who just cannot cognitively tune into the fact that yes, the world is haunted because they like grew up in a world where that wasn't true. Yeah, but also it's interesting from Saunders's point of view because he makes his whole living on it. It's literally his job. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. Like that feels real to me though. Yeah, no, it you does. Know? It absolutely does. Uh, but it's it's weird. Like he makes his whole living, but he still doesn't quite take it seriously. And I feel like yeah. there are, I'm sorry. I'm no, no, no. I'm just saying that that completely describes his character. Yeah. And I feel like there are people like that in, you know, like in the internet age who are like, oh, the internet is a bunch of bullshit, but like they work online and stuff, <laughs> you know, like because they grew up in a time where the internet wasn't a thing 
and they're like, but I have, you know, like a TikTok and that's how I advertise for my business and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And it's like, you're a weirdo. You know that, right? You're like. Or like the boomers who taught us when we were young to not believe anything that we read on the internet, but now we'll believe fucking anything that they read yeah. anywhere on the internet. And it's just <laughs> exactly. like. Exactly. What are you talking about? Please have some media literacy, please. Yeah, that's a better example, but exactly. Yeah, that's the exact feeling that I get from this guy. I'm sure he's a QAnon in his spare time. Yeah, exactly. The point that you made uh, is a really good one that he brings up, like he drops this thing and it's the grave of Edward Bickerstaff. Edmund. And they're like, uh who's that oh sorry edmund yep. and they're just a big nothing they're like don't know who that is sorry and then immediately he's like yeah i hadn't heard of him either yeah like he's not upset that his reveal was nothing these are yeah it's very derpy it's, it's but it's funny uh so then we get the bit about how deprec requires them to dig it up at night even though it's a dangerous ghost so that they yeah. can get compensated for hiring agents it's good stuff. It's fucking wild. Well, the lives of children are cheaper than taxpayer money. Uh, you know, so. <laughs> it's just the, the worst part is that I believe it. Like, it doesn't feel like Stroud is reaching, you know, in order to get his plot working. It feels yeah. very believable. It's really crazy. Like, because how much would it take to like, just, I don't know, like, it would be bad to scoop out all the bones in this place. And there's got to be like. They say there's catacombs and stuff, so it would be a big operation. But to like just go around and just burn all of the remains or yeah, pile them into a big silver or something and just just know that it's taken care of, but they don't do that. They're like, no, nope, got to check it out one at a time. And probably it's going to get worse. Like when they check out a grave and be like, this one's fine. If things keep getting worse in like 20 years, then it's not going to be fine. Yeah, it's I'm really so weird. curious about if there are any laws about how to deal with current human remains. Like when a family member or whatever loved one dies, do they have to be cremated? Because some cultures and religions don't do that. Oh, but right, there's yeah. real safety concerns for, yeah. for that. So like, obviously, that has nothing to do with the plot. So why would Stroud waste time addressing it? But I want to know. Yeah. There is kind of a hint about that later. It's not in these chapters that we read where George talks about, like, why would they use an iron coffin? They didn't know, like, oh, kind yeah, of implying that maybe there is iron in the coffins now. But yeah, I don't think he ever, like, lays that out specifically. It's a good question, though, about religion and stuff like that, because yeah. probably religion is more important than ever to some people. Yeah, but Stroud largely leaves it out of the books which is yeah it's good. interesting yeah it's the best it, it was the good choice to make for children's books obviously but this just is my thing where almost every like a good middle grade book that i read i desperately want an adult book set in the same world just so that we can really dive into this shit yeah <sighs> oh well i feel like he would have answers too he would, he would know the answers to those things. It does feel like that sort of thing, but also it's something I would never really ask because then I, because that's not canon. You know, if you just ask an author something and they come up with something on the spot, or at least it isn't to me. No, I right? agree. Yeah. If it's not in the text, you can't use it yeah. to interpret the text. So I don't know. Anyways, at one point, um, is it Lockwood? Yeah. Lockwood offers Saunders some of the uh, Swiss roll and says, Lucy baked them. <laughs> I know. 
it's so crazy. I was like, what are you doing? Why do you say that? And we don't do not get a reaction from Lucy, which to me says this is the type of shit Lockwood does all the time. Yes, we have homemade baked goods for you. It's really wild. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a, it's a good turn, though. And it shows that, like, Lockwood has gone from being, like, trying to control himself between boredom and anger and is now, like, actively yeah, intrigued. Yeah, he's in it. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, so he's, like, being, <laughs> for whatever reason, like, very hospitable and being like, here's our homemade baked goods. Yeah, there's an interesting ghost now, so Lockwood is in. And then on the next page, Saunders calls Lucy girly again. Ugh. It's bad. Continues to be the worst. They do talk about here how Bickerstaff had a bad reputation yep. um, for unwholesome activities. <laughs> there were whispers of witchcraft, dabbling with forbidden arts, grave robbing. When I first read the unwholesome activities, I thought maybe there was going to be like a really subtle nod to perhaps some necrophilia. And that's where the TV show got that from. But no, they immediately go into witchcraft and stuff. And I'm like, I just need to know why they changed that in the show to necrophilia. I <laughs> like, I thought the same thing. Who came up with that and why? Yeah. Not that I dislike it's... it in the show. It just seems such a choice. <laughs> it's really weird. But it's also like it has shades of Dr. Frankenstein here for me, too. Um, yeah, I can see that. That's yeah, that's like how Doctor Frankenstein works. He's like in the in the book. It's like there's all this science stuff that he's learning at school, but then he has this like occult book about death, and it's because he combines the two things and like his grave robbing and stuff at night that he's able to, you know, do his create his monster. Mm -hmm. And it feels like Bickerstaff has some of that energy. Yes, and I like that connection actually. From what we learn about Bickerstaff later on. Yeah. And then we get to the thing with the rats. Ugh. I have a personal fear of rats. I, I had a big problem with, like, I highlighted a huge portion of this and I was like, this is terrible. I don't, <laughs> I don't like this at all. And yeah, we find out that, so uh, Bickerstaff kind of sent his staff away for two days with pay. And then somebody was like, that was, that's a long time. And I'm like, have you heard of a weekend? <laughs> but okay. Um, In the 1870s, they're not wrong. I guess. So they sent the staff away, and then he had a bunch of his friends slash colleagues slash uh, um, show up at the house, and they were nobody knows what happened over those two days. But when they came back, the place was overrun with overrun with rats. The guests were never found, and Bickerstaff's body was on the ground, eaten by rats. Mm -hmm. That's the report, anyway. Yes, I was going to say that, you know, we don't know any different yet, but we talk about future stuff all the time. So, yeah, like, a bunch of that isn't true. Yeah, I mean, this is information that Joplin was able to dig up on the situation. And it is it is important to know, you know, for later, because like, yeah, there's a cover up and a change of of information. There's also like a this is like a classic Stroud joke and is actually the go to one in my mind mm. when we were talking about the show where they're like sitting here discussing all this stuff and saunders says so that's how dr bickerstaff ended up as a pile of bloody bones and sinew nasty that last slice of swiss roll now anybody want that yep and uh, and he's like oh it's a gooey one and then he bites into it after talking about how the rats ate yep 
Bickerstaff. And it's that's that's the humor here. That's what we're doing. And then um, I like that we the chapter ends I like I know that this would be the other way around, obviously, but on the same line that the scene ended in the show, like with Lockwood saying we'd be delighted. Oh, no, he says mm-hmm. irresistible in the show, doesn't he? Mm, it sounds irresistible right. or something. But it's the same like feel. For sure. Yeah. It's like a jumping off. Yeah. Like, yeah, we're going to go do this. You can just feel the opening credits there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's also, it's important we get a little moment from George, too, mm. um, where he's, like, very turned on and intrigued by the whole thing. Oh, yes, he yes, talks yes, yes. About, Yeah, he's like, what killed him? Was it the rats? Was it something else? There's so many loose ends. It's crying we, out at, for further research. Yeah, so this is, like, really tapping into, like, George is coming off of a big loss here. He's hitting dead ends with Skull, and this feels like a mystery he can sink his teeth into and solve. Yeah. So that's pretty important for what's going on with George. Everybody's in, but Lucy, it feels like we don't. Lucy's pretty passive. Yeah, we in, don't really get a Lucy reaction here. Maybe next week. She's just week. watching it all. Maybe next time. Because that's the end of the podcast. Sorry, everyone. Yeah. Uh, what's your best joke or favorite joke? Hmm. It might be the go-to joke that I talked about. I don't know that it's the funniest, but it's definitely... The archetypal joke, I feel like, to have like, here's all this gross stuff and then a food joke or whatever. That's just Stroudian humor to me, it feels like. And uh, it it works. It's really good. But it didn't have me like, you know, cackling or anything. Mm -hmm. Um, I I just really like from the very beginning, you know, when we talked about it a lot when Lucy is lustfully staring at Lockwood and George yeah. is just like, yeah, I'll have a slice. Thanks. <laughs> if you can tear yourself away. That is good. That's my favorite. I think it just That's... really sets up their Like it's funny. It's good. And it really sets up the dynamic quite well. Yeah. It's brother and sister stuff too. If like, yeah. And like I said, Lockwood doesn't call out a lot of the tension between Lockwood and Lucy. He just sort of puts it in. But uh, very occasionally, George, he has George call it out. Oh, you mean Stroud. You said Lockwood doesn't call it out. And I was like, yep. Yes, I did. Yes, I mean Stroud. Sorry. Stroud doesn't. That's okay. Like that whole paragraph almost. If if George hadn't said anything, you could just write it off as book description, you know? Right. Because Lucy doesn't say like she was stuck staring at him or anything like that. It's George that says, hello, food. Yeah, exactly. And then you realize that she's just been standing there holding a cake, staring at him that whole time. Yeah. And you're like, uh, that's weird behavior. I have to assume her mouth was a little bit open, you know, just hanging there. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Make it very embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good joke. I don't know that I had any um, punk rock moments. Just so much character setup and world building that's going on for the whole novel here. I think there is one, but it's... It, it's when George stole Skull, right? So it's oh, not, yeah. it's not, doesn't happen in here. We just hear about it in here. So it doesn't feel like a moment that you can choose. But I absolutely think, you know, like the top agency fired him and he was like, well, I'm taking something. <laughs> yeah. It's backstory punk rock. I think yeah. you're totally right about that. Yeah. We did kind of skip over it, but he like, has a whole thing where they're like cleaning out his desk and they have a little cart for him 
And he just like does a, a little spontaneous, like just grab skull out of a bin that's going down into the secret basement. Yep. He doesn't even really know what it is, but he's like, you're not firing me without me getting a bonus or something. Yeah, that's true. It's a good call. But I can see where it wouldn't feel like one. Mm-mm. No, I couldn't. Couldn't think of one. That's right, though. So next week, we'll be talking about the second half of part two. I think it's three more chapters. That's right. Yep. Six, seven, and eight. Six, seven, eight. Yeah. So if you have anything to say about what we've talked about here, you can reach out to us on Twitter at Lockwood Podcast, or you can find me myself on Twitter at Inferior Caitlin. You could send us an email if you don't want to do that. If you don't want to go on Elon Musk's platform, totally get it. Uh, contact at hollowgroundmedia.com would be the place to send emails. Or you can go to uh, our homepage, hologroundmedia.com, and scroll down to the contact page. And remember to always lie to people about your baked goods. I will share a picture one day when it's not just a fucking disaster of books. You don't even boxes. understand the no. It, I've gotten all the boxes out. It's just books everywhere. It's just oh. so many books. You don't understand the amount of books I own. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>